Christ is risen, now what? And we are in, I believe, part number five. And, and I've had several of you ask who have had situations where you had to be gone or had to miss one of the Sundays. Um, if you are part of the Facebook page, for example, you can go on there and you can find the sermons, on, the podcast of the sermons and listen to them. Uh, any number of ways uh, that, that you can get there. But if you've missed any of uh, the, these uh, sermons, I would encourage you to uh, catch up with us, and hopefully you can be here for the rest of them. But today we are in part number five. This is, and I mentioned this to you last week, today is the birthday of the church. This is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is, was a part of the Feast of Harvest in the nation of Israel. Uh, Pentecost was designed, which means... The word Pentecost means 50, which means it's seven Sabbaths plus one day after the uh, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Pentecost Sunday is, is the birthday of the church. And uh, it's, a, it's every bit as important as, as Christmas, Easter. I mean, we celebrate those. We don't so much celebrate Pentecost, but I'm here to tell you today, we have a reason to celebrate Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, God gave His Holy Spirit to come alongside of us, to empower us, to walk with us, and to do amazing things through our lives. Go with me to the book of Acts, either in your Bibles or on your YouVersion Bible app. I have all of my notes on there, and uh, you can follow along with me there. Uh, I'll be in the book of Acts almost exclusively this morning. I'm going to be referring to several other scriptures. I'm not going to take the time to read them all, but you have them uh, on that Bible app, or you can write them down in your notes and look them up later. Um, this is a little different this morning because, as I said, we, we talked about Pentecost last Sunday in anticipation of, of Pentecost Sunday today. And so I, I'm going to kind of regress maybe a little bit and talk about some of the things that took place in the lives of Jesus' disciples prior to that day in Acts chapter number 2 when 120 of them were gathered in an upper room and the Holy Spirit descended upon them. Now, just to give you a little bit of context for this entire sermon series, in case some of you have not been here, during the days following Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we are told of instances, several instances, where Jesus appeared to his disciples in bodily form, having been risen. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 6, that in the 40 days that Jesus remained on the earth following his resurrection, he appeared to more than 500 people. A lot of people want to debate the reality of Jesus' resurrection. 500 people is a pretty good amount of witnesses. And, and, and in spite of that, however, it was important that these disciples not only see Jesus in a bodily form, but to understand that Jesus 
plan, his purpose that was going to be found in them was not yet complete. He still had a mission for them to do even after he ascended back into heaven. Jesus spent time teaching them about the kingdom of God, what part they were going to play in establishing that kingdom here on earth. And Jesus knew that those guys had a lot to learn. So do we. We have a lot to learn about how to effectively carry on the plan and the purpose of God that Jesus charged us with when he gave us that great commission in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. There he said, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he checked out and went back to heaven. So the question then becomes, okay, what now? He told them to wait. How many of you would join me in saying, I hate waiting? I'm probably the most impatient guy in the room. And if you don't believe that, just ask Brenda. She'll tell you. Um, I am a part of what I call the zap it culture. We don't like popcorn made the old-fashioned way. We like to zap it in the microwave. We want what we want, and we want it now. That's the way we've been brought up. But in the kingdom of God, God places a great amount of value on this process called waiting. Now, we're just like those disciples. We know that the tomb is empty. We've celebrated that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But something more is needed. And that something more is needed if our faith is to be vibrant and dynamic. Now, that's two very important descriptions. If we're going to impact the world around us, we need to have something that is viable and dynamic. Uh, we, we, can't, we can't just get saved and check ourselves in and say, ah, now I can just sit back and wait to go to heaven. That's passive faith. That's not going to attract anyone to the kingdom. Well, you'll notice in... Verses 10 and 11 of Acts chapter number 1. That Jesus told his disciples to wait. And they did. After he ascended into heaven, they were there waiting. Looking up. Gazing into heaven. And they stayed there looking. And looking. And looking. Now I want to make this observation. And that's the reason why I played that up the way that I did. Jesus told them to go back to Jerusalem and wait. But implicit in that remark is a warning I believe for every one of us. 
We are not to get so caught up in looking upward that we neglect our task of going forward. Now we sang that song, Even So Lord Jesus Come, and, and I believe every one of us have that sentiment in our heart that we would, we would love for Jesus to come and just take us home to glory. Every one of us feel that way. But at the same time, until that happens, we can't just put ourselves in neutral and stand looking at the eastern sky waiting for Him to come. He has charged us with a task that He wants us to move forward with. And the way that we desire to move forward with it sometimes gets in the way of the way he wants us to move forward with it. That's why he wanted us to wait until we receive the Holy Spirit so that we can become effective in our witness to the lost. You know, it's possible to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ and do it in your own strength and flesh. I've seen it happen. People who have a lot of zeal and a lot of enthusiasm to go do something significant for the Lord. But friends, the same God who saved you, the same God who created all that is, has the power to prepare the field for you to witness in that He wants you to go to. He will prepare that before you. He goes before us. And then when we go in the leading and the power and the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit, when our witness is given, then it's received because God's already prepared the hearer of what we have to say. So faith by its very nature is forward in movement. It's a gift of the Spirit. And along with our faith, there should be this built-in dynamic to go forward with our faith. And if that dynamic is gone, you need to be filled or refilled with the Spirit of God. Now, once they were awakened from their looking into heaven, the Scriptures tell us that the disciples traveled back to Jerusalem from the region of Galilee, and they, once there, they all joined together in constant prayer. Their praying was an act of anticipation expectation and Jesus had given them this promise and they were going to pray until that promise became a reality understand me on this friends we have the same promise we have the same promise that we need to be constantly praying for until it becomes a reality in our lives the promise to be empowered with the Holy Spirit of God a literal translation of the Greek reads like this. They were all continuing steadfastly with one mind in prayer. One mind. They were unified. Uh, waiting time is not wasted time when it's done in the manner that God has directed it. The time was for repositioning themselves, getting ready to go with the flow of the Spirit. And both as a church and, and as individual believers, I like to think of this as a time of repositioning. Uh, going through times of transition. And it's in those times that we, we find ourselves in a situation that we need to make sure of three things. One, that we're in the right place. Two, 
that we are united with other believers. And three, that we are in prayer. Did you know that prayer is the most powerful dynamic known to man? It's through the prayers of people that God can do supernatural things. Now, prayer is an interesting thing. There are times when I purpose in my own life to try to spend time in prayer. And in those times, I will find myself, (laughs) how do I want to say it? Not being able to focus. I mean, I have this agenda of things that I want to pray about. And, And then all of a sudden, I lose the focus of praying for those things. And I just find myself being still before God. That's equally as important, if not more. Because, friends, what we need to understand is that prayer is like a conversation, and it takes two people to have that conversation. One end is you, and the person on the other end is God. Now, if you do all the talking, it's not a conversation. It's a lecture. Not a good idea to lecture God. But if you'll just be still and wait on God, and wait with expectation. It's what Jesus instructed these disciples to do. And as I said earlier, God seems to want us to wait more often than I care to. Now I'm not sure why Jesus didn't just send the Holy Spirit upon those disciples immediately. You know, he could have done that. He could have just spoken a word and, and they would have received the power that had been promised to them. But instead he asked them to wait on it. Go with me, if you're not already there, to Acts chapter number 1. <laughs> There's an interesting conversation that takes place between Jesus and these same disciples, beginning with verse number 6. So, now this, keep in mind, this is before Jesus has ascended into heaven. Verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. They question Jesus, when are you coming back, Jesus? And and Jesus simply tells them, don't worry about it. It's, in essence, Jesus telling them, guys, that's above your pay grade. You, you, you don't need to focus on that right now because I have something else that I need you to do and to be before you even need to concern yourself with that. What he was telling them was that waiting is not a passive task. The disciples traveled back to Jerusalem. They joined together in prayer and They began to wait. They were waiting constructively. Luke records in in this passage in Acts that they dedicated and devoted themselves to prayer. Now I believe that we can learn a lesson from those disciples and, and the others that were gathered with them in that upper room. Because as I said about myself earlier, and I guess I'm probably thinking I'm not the only one in the room, I have difficulty waiting sometimes. It's, a, it's not a pleasant process. You know, 
in, in our waiting, we pass the time in different ways. Uh, when Brenda is waiting on me to, to get a TV program going or, or waiting for the commercials to end, Brenda's over there playing words with friends on her phone. She's waiting. But in the process of waiting, we all do different things. Uh, a week ago, we had our kids up for dinner on Mother's Day, and, and we, we sat down to eat, and uh, I'm sitting, I've been sitting there waiting to eat for a while, and you know, a lot of things going on, and, and I didn't notice it, but my foot was just going like this. And Brenda sits down, and she goes, would you stop it? You're shaking the whole house. And then about a minute later, unconsciously, my foot's going. We all wait in different ways. It's anticipation. Uh, we, we sometimes wait staring at a television program that we don't even want to watch. But we do it because there's nothing else that interests us. The disciples were to do nothing until they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's a good reason for this. The disciples would have been ineffective in their witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth if they had attempted to do it on their own. What I'm telling you this morning, friends, is that the task that Jesus has left to us is beyond our capabilities. It takes a supernatural visitation from God in each of our lives, in the lives of our church, to make us effective doing what Jesus has left us to do. Jesus gives him a greater concern and task than worrying about when he's returning. He commissions them. And he has commissioned us to spread the gospel after, after, after you've received the power. Now, earlier in the New Testament, there was this guy named John the Baptist. And John baptized with water, but he said, there's one coming after me who will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then Jesus himself said in Luke chapter number 3, verse number 16, or excuse me, that was John's words. John said, I baptized with water, but one who is coming more powerful than I and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus was relating to them that this baptism in the Holy Spirit could empower them with this task that he was now giving them. It would be, it would be that power that, that puts them over the edge in terms of effectiveness. Uh, you remember, this is, this is an interesting uh, comparison here. We know what happened with Peter, right, on the night that Jesus was arrested. Uh, we know about Peter's ability to witness that night. <laughs> he denied that he even knew the Lord on three occasions. And now it's 50 days later, and this same Peter has been endued with a power from on high, and he goes out from that upper room and preaches a message, a convicting message, and 3,000 people are saved. What was the difference? 
the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to make his witness effective. Now, I said Jesus was going to baptize with fire. We see in Acts chapter number 2, verse number 4. Let's read it. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own language the magnificent acts of God. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this be? But some sneered and said, They're full of new wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus the Nazarene was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, I saw the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades or your holy one to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. And then Peter goes on, Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarchs 
patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out both what you see and hear. And Peter went on preaching from there. Now, is faith worth waiting on? (laughs) Is forgiveness worth waiting on? Is hope worth waiting on? Is being able to love people you don't even like worth waiting on? Is God worth waiting on? Well, I believe that they are. And as, patient, as impatient as I can be at times, God and everything that he offers to me and to you are worth waiting on. Waiting is somewhat like what I would consider to be a pressure cooker experience. Jesus asked all of those disciples to to wait in Jerusalem until they had received the power that he had promised to them to meet everything that would lay ahead of them as well as to be an advocate to teach them all what they needed to know. Now I'm quite sure that Jesus did not instruct them with this command without considering how difficult it was going to be for them to wait. Jesus understands how difficult it is for us to wait. You've prayed for people that you want to see healed, right? And you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and the, wait, the process of waiting becomes difficult. We understand that. And, and Jesus knows that we, we're going to have difficulty with that. But, but think about this. Here were these disciples... They were under suspicion of the authorities, the same authorities that put Jesus to death on the cross. They wanted to get on with their lives because Jesus had ascended into heaven and he was no longer with them. How did they really know that this waiting that Jesus had told them to do was going to make any difference whatsoever in their lives? How did they know that? But you see, Jesus knew that they were having all those thoughts. But he also knew that if they committed themselves to do what he had asked them to do, that their obedience would be rewarded with power, with companionship, in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. One of my favorite Bible Bible verses, and I, I know you've probably all heard this, is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 31. It says, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now, I've seen that happen in my own life. I've experienced that. I've also experienced the results, though, of impatient waiting. And I found that impatient waiting, that is, waiting when you're not waiting with expectation and anticipation, waiting impatiently 
often creates a bigger mess than if you would have waited patiently. Are, do you understand that? But look at these disciples. They did what Jesus asked them to do. They waited, they waited, and they waited so that they could be empowered to become witnesses filled with a power and an ability that wasn't their own. The power from the Holy Spirit is described in a Greek word called dunamis. The same word from which the English word dynamite is taken. In the Greek language, there are two key words used for power. One which refers to authority and the word dunamis, which means raw energy and pre prevailing force. When Jesus said, I'm going to send you and I'm going to give you this power, he's saying, I am going to give you power to prevail over the attacks of the enemy and I am going to give you power to that will energize you to do what I have commissioned you to do. Supernatural power. Not like our own strength. But the power of God being made known in us. We've got the power. The church has access to the power. And that power will energize us as a body and give us the effectiveness in prevailing over the darkness of the world. Now, when Jesus gave this commission, he gave us the means by which it was going to be accomplished. Supernatural power. Now we as a church, both corporately and as the local church, we are Christ's witness to the world. Um, I'm going to tell you something that's not going to shock you. The church has its problems. It does. Every local church has its problems. If you're looking for the perfect church, just stop at Trinity Faith. Because you're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find it here. The church has its problems. But along with that, let me just say to you, friends, that if it wasn't for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, this world would have destroyed itself long ago. Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing will be able to stand against it. Of course the church has problems. But we've overcome the world. We, we can deal with a few growing pains. Uh, it, it, it's important, however, that our church be led by the Holy Spirit of God. Because if we are led by the Spirit of God, we will experience challenges, but the Holy Spirit makes us, gives us power to be effective. Effectiveness. That's what we're looking for. Uh, this world needs people, believers who are empowered, baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I believe that these disciples came to grips with themselves when, and with God in those 10 days that they had to wait following Jesus' ascension. And I also believe that there was a reason why they had to wait for 10 days. 
The reason can be found by going deeper with the biblical background and discover that this day of Pentecost that we celebrate today, we've talked about it uh, in our past messages, uh, it was celebrated during the Jewish Feast of the Harvest. It was one of the major festivals celebrated in the Jewish faith, and it was celebrated in the city of Jerusalem, which caused the population of that city during that time to swell. As Jews from other nations from around that region came to celebrate this festival. And then when we looked, we read from Acts chapter 2 verse number 5. It told us that there were Jews living in Jerusalem. Devout men from every nation under heaven. And look what happens. God in his great wisdom. In his timing sends the Holy Spirit at a time when a great number of people are present at the place where God told those disciples to go, where Jesus told those disciples to go and wait. By the way, isn't God smart? (laughs) And the result of this strategy that God used is that a large number of people from many nations hear the gospel being proclaimed in their native language. They're waiting paid dividends for the gospel. How long do you suppose it might have taken for the gospel to be shared with these thousands of people if the disciples had been sent to various places to learn the local languages first? It wouldn't have happened. God jumpstarts the birth of the church and Christian faith in one moment of action because the key people in his plan at that time waited until they received power. And when the day of Pentecost had arrived, we are told in Acts chapter 2 verse number 4 that there were three phenomena of a wind-like noise, fire-like tongues, and understandable words and strange languages that herald the dawn of the age of the Spirit. Friends, there's a set time for everything in the kingdom of God. A set time. Along with Jesus' birth, His his crucifixion, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension into heaven, this was one of the great acts of what Jesus began to do and to teach in the inauguration of His kingdom upon earth. The disciples, they became known as the apostles. And they received the promise of power for their ministry, their lips being somewhat touched in the same way that Isaiah describes it in Isaiah chapter number 6 when he says, I took a a piece of coal off of the altar and and, and the angel touched it to my lips. And all of a sudden he became anointed. (laughs) What was the outcome? A great revival started that day. 3,000 souls converted from one sermon. From all languages, from different nations, God had sown the seed for the harvest that would begin the harvest of His church. And millions and billions of people since that time have become a part of His church. Many of which are sitting in this room this morning. We are the after effects of what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now let me do some explaining here. The different languages of Acts chapter 2 verse number 4, they've been recognized 
and I don't know if you've heard this before, but I love this, as a reversal of the curse of Babel. How many of you have ever heard of the curse of Babel? Back in the book of Genesis, clear back in the beginning, the people that populated the earth, they got this bright idea, we're going to build a tower to heaven so that we can be like God. And the outcome of that was God was so enraged that he said, you know what? I'm going to confound you all. I'm going to scatter you over the face of the earth and I'm going to give you different languages so that you won't even be able to understand what one another is saying. That was God's judgment. But look what happens here at Pentecost. Jesus gives them the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit who came at Pentecost and when he came, he came with a universal message which could be understood by native Jews, foreign Jews, and from Jews that lived throughout the Roman world. Do you see the significance of that? Native languages. And we we went through that whole description, and I think I pronounced them right the first time, but I'm not going to try it again. All the different peoples that spoke different languages. And the miracle of those different languages is that the men and women who were speaking them were all uneducated Galileans. And you know what their response was? How can this be? Are these not all Galileans? Knowing that Galileans were considered to be uncultured, uneducated, and yet here they are speaking coherently the magnificent acts of God in languages that they had not learned, but which their hearers could clearly understand. I told you it was supernatural. Uh, Rosetta Stone can't do that for you. God supernaturally endowed them with the ability to profess the wonders of God to men and women in their own language. And this gave rise to the question, as I said, those who heard it said, how can this be? What could, what, what, what's this mean? And as always, when God is at work, there are those who choose to cover up their ignorance by mocking. They said, uh, they must be full of new wine. They must be drunk. In fact, far from being incoherent, These were men who were very coherent to those who had an ear to hear. Far from being out of control, they were under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And one of the fruits of the Spirit, by the way, is self-control. And anyway, as Peter would pronounce in their defense, these guys aren't drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk, but what you are hearing is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the prophet Joel. And then he goes into detail about that prophecy. He was already convinced that even though Jesus had only been gone for 10 days, the last days had already begun. We're still living in the last days now 2,000 years later. And, and, and Peter talks about that a lot even in his own letter. You can find that in Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 3. But translated into modern language... Peter was preaching 
that this is the messianic age in which we are now living. The age of the pouring out of the Spirit of God upon all flesh. This is the age of the church when young and old, near and far, servants and slaves are enabled to speak forth or to prophesy the words of God and when, here's the most important part, when all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. And then Peter outlines the doctrine as attested to by how did Jesus do it? Miracles, wonders, and signs. And you think, well, that's really great, but Jesus is checked out now, so what are we going to do? Well, Jesus said, greater things than these that I do, you shall do because I'm going to the Father, and when I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come to you. <laughs> Peter was aware that this, you know, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes, I, you often hear me use the word enlightenment. It's amazing how quickly enlightenment came to pe Peter. I mean, think about it. Uh, back, back in Matthew chapter number 16, I believe it was, Peter made the confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, and I must go to Jerusalem and there be arrested and tried by evil men and put to death. And Peter says, I won't allow it. He didn't understand the plan of God. But after the Holy Spirit had come, I mean, it's just moments after the Holy Spirit has come, all of a sudden, light goes on. And Peter realizes that despite the wicked agenda of evil men, that it was God's determinate counsel that Jesus had been delivered up to be crucified. All of a sudden it dawns on Peter, oh, this is why that happened. <laughs> Enlightenment. Now this, is, this in no way reduces the guilt of those who crucified Jesus, but it, it, it indicates the atoning nature of Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice. I'm guessing that somewhere in, in the subconscious of Peter's mind, he's thinking about, oh man, we've had to go to the temple year after year to sacrifice. And all of a sudden the light comes on and he goes, whoa! That's over with! Jesus came and was the once-for-all time sacrifice. And not only that, but the death that he suffered could not contain him. And he rose from the dead, alive forevermore. Can you imagine all that's happening in Peter's mind? I mean, it's like he's being overcome by another power, and that's exactly what was happening. The power of the Holy Spirit was ministering to and ministering through Peter at the same time. Peter tells them about the impossibility that death could hold Jesus. He was raised back to life by God and released from the pains of death. And he goes on and tells them this is what was prophesied by King David. I mean, all of a sudden, Peter becomes this theological student. I mean, he's, he's reciting scriptures that I'm guessing he didn't even know. He starts quoting from King David. And the apostles themselves, as a result of his personal appearances to them, now stood as witnesses to everything that Peter had said. We've seen Jesus. 
We've walked with him. We've talked with him since he was put to death. He is alive. And we are here to proclaim that to you with a power and with an effectiveness that the world has never yet known. And Peter closed his message in verse number 36. When he said something like this, God's clearly declaring that this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Messiah. And when he spoke those words, it struck at the very consciences of those who heard them. The application of Peter's sermon came with it a call to repentance. A token, in token of which the hearers were summoned to not only come to repentance and receive salvation, but to also be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Their obedience, look what the result of their obedience was. Forgiveness of sin, the gift and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and in a single day, the New Testament church that was born on that day went from 120 to 3,120. And in the days that followed, the Lord added to the church daily such as who should be saved. Empowerment. From that day forward, we see the church as we should always see the church. Learning from the words of the apostles, being empowered by the same Holy Spirit. Friends, He's given us everything that we need to turn our community upside down. Now, some of you folks have a lot more education than 11 Galilean fishermen. And yet, look what God did through them. Apostle Peter preached a message. You remember Doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas, he went, eventually went to the region we now know as the region of India. Doubting Thomas, who said, unless I thrust my hand in the nail prints in his hands and see the wound in his side, I will not believe. Thomas and his legacy that he left is now responsible for more people coming into the kingdom of God than any apostle who ever lived. That's what power of the Holy Spirit will do. It will take us even in our feebleness, our weakness, and do things in us that you cannot even imagine that you would be doing if, if we're willing to wait. You know who he wants to give that power to? Every one of us. And he's still able to do that. If we will wait. As the worship team comes, that early church, they shared in fellowship. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They didn't get caught up in all the stuff. 
that didn't amount to a hill of beans. They didn't worry about who was sitting in their chair on Sunday morning. They didn't care about any of the peripherals or the things that we call our preferences. They were united with one body, one mind, one purpose to reach their world with the gospel. Well, the day of Pentecost is unique. I believe that the church today needs to give itself to fresh outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Revival power, proclaiming Jesus, worshiping the name of the Lord our God, giving Him praise and honor and glory not worrying about whether the song that's being sung is one we like or we don't like but we just worship Jesus because he's worthy he's worthy of our praise with your heads bowed your eyes closed you may be sitting there thinking Terry I've never considered myself to be the kind of person who would ever lead someone else to Jesus. That's just not my thing. I I, I would be totally out of my comfort zone if I were asked to do that. Well, hey, I hear you. I'm standing up here, and you know what? It used to be totally out of my comfort zone. But God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, Enabled me to think, enabled me to do things that I never thought in a million years I would be able to do. What he needs is for us to surrender to him and wait. And if you ask for the power of the Holy Spirit, and you anticipate the power of the Holy Spirit, and you expect God to act upon what he has promised. When it comes, when He comes, you just may be shocked at what God wants to do in and through you. Holy Spirit of God, you have allowed a sweet spirit to descend upon this room this morning. And I don't know what you want to do or who you want to do it through this morning. But I know, Holy Spirit, that you are waiting to be invited in. To empower and to enable even the least among us, among us, whoever that might be, to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. And all it takes is for us to surrender and to wait for the promise of the Father. Would you stand with me, please?